As Rich said, my name is Benjamin, one of the elders here at the mission. And uh, today we'll be looking at Psalm 127. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. I'm not much of a computer guy, so I don't have slides. So, if you have Bibles or phone apps that have the Bible, you just want to be in Psalm 127 and you'll be fine. Believe it or not, they succeeded at having church for many years without slides. I'm going to go ahead and read through the psalm, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll do what we do normally here at the Mission Church and walk through the passage. Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that all of your words are true and useful for teaching and correction and rebuke and encouragement. Lord, let your word be that to us today. Let my words uh, be true and uh, help me to speak well from your word and help us to hear what you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalms, a song of ascents. I don't know if I, did I read that part in the beginning? I should have. A song of ascents of Solomon. That's how this begins, that's kind of the title. A song of ascents, uh, if you recall, if you were here last time I preached on the Psalms, I also preached on a Psalm of Ascents, Psalm 133. Um, Psalms of Ascents were uh, probably not written as Songs of Ascents, but they became that later on. And what that means is these were, there's a collection of 15 Psalms right here that uh, the, the faithful Jews three times a year would go to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they would sing these songs as they ascended to the temple because when you're going to Jerusalem from all directions, it's uphill, right? And so from a long ways off, I can imagine these people singing these songs as they see the, the temple far in the distance and they are singing as they walk up toward it. And what is the temple? It is the house of the Lord, right? This is a psalm written by Solomon, according to the text. Solomon, you remember, he was the one who built the first temple, the first uh, house of the Lord there in Jerusalem. Um, when, when I read through this passage, you may have noticed, right around verse three, 
he seems to take a change in direction. At first reading, the psalm, many have imagined that this psalm is actually two psalms that are smashed together, like they were too short and they just thought they'd put them together. I don't think that's the case. There is a continuity here. Uh, If you remember what happened in the original building of the temple, David uh, had moved the kingdom's center to Jerusalem, right? It's called the city of David. And David had decided, and, and talking to his friend, the prophet Nathan, he says, I want to build a house for the Lord. I've, I've got my palace here. I'm established. God's blessed me. And he's still dwelling in this tent. I'm going to build him a house. And Nathan says, great, go for it. The Lord is with you. And then Nathan goes home, and as soon as he gets home, God speaks to him and says, no, no, go back and tell David this. And, and he tells David in... Uh, 2 Samuel 7, he says to to David, you will not build me a house, but I will build you. I will build your house. What did God mean by that? I will build your house. David already had a a kingdom, a palace. Of course, he's talking about your, what we would say, your household, your family, and your legacy. And that's what God built for David. David. And it's that same kind of play on words that's going on here with Solomon, David's son, is he's talking about building a house, and then he's talking about building a household. And those two words in Hebrew, that, I mean, it's one word in Hebrew, they use it the same, just like we would use it the same, house and house. And I think that's what's going on here. So we're going to see three themes in Psalm 127, and they're going to be repeated the second half mirrors the first half. Those three themes are the Lord builds, the Lord protects, and the Lord provides. And we're gonna look at those as they're in verses one through two and then repeated in three through five. So that's kind of an overview of how this all ties together as one fluid psalm talking about the same thing. So first of all, the Lord builds. Verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. What does it mean to be laboring in vain? It's it's useless, it's futile. It, It amounts to nothing. So the Lord must build the house. I want you to notice really carefully the words here. It doesn't say, Unless the Lord helps you build the house. It's not what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house. So the, the primary action here is God. This, this starts out with the obvious main point. Attempting to do anything without God is complete failure. And that God is sovereign over our actions and over the things that we can accomplish. He is completely sovereign. I want to read to you a couple of verses throughout the Bible that affirm this, and we could go on forever with verses like this. Matthew 10, 29, and 30, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. So sparrows that are worthless to us not one of them falls to the ground unless 
The Father allows it. He's sovereign over every single aspect of all creation. Even the hairs on your head. Some of us make it easier on God than others, right? He loves us more, you know. <clears throat> Even the hairs on your head are numbered by God. He, what is this saying? He is intimately connected with every detail of your life. He is in control and in charge of it all. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, everything I have in my possession, I've received from God. Everything. Ecclesiastes 9:11. again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. In other words, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how strong you are. That's not what win, wins battles and makes you get ahead. It's, this verse says time and chance. And, and chance here isn't like the kind of chance we think about. It's, uh, well, Proverbs 16, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God is the one who's sovereign over chance. He's the one who controls the roll of the die and what happens in life. Probably the, the most convicting verse on this is in James chapter four, verses 13 to 16. Come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and sp spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. James calls it evil to not believe in and acknowledge God's sovereignty over all things, over our plans, over what we will do in the future. So this verse begins with God's absolute sovereignty in all actions. I remember the first time I was confronted with this, I was in my late 20s, and uh, I, I don't think I knew what a, what a Calvinist was or what God's sovereignty was or any of these things. I'd, I'd been to Bible school. I didn't know what these things were. Um, but I was, I was a house builder. I'm in construction now. I still am. I, now I just focus on staircases. But back then, I was building houses start to finish. And I was working with my partner in Minnesota on building a house for uh, a couple from our church. <clears throat> and uh, I remember very clearly we were working on the second floor, framing the second floor, and the homeowner, this lady, came out and she said, can you guys come down here for a minute? I said, yeah, of course. Thought one more change to the plans, probably. It's always the case. And we come down, and this lady, she was... Um, interesting. Um, I'll leave it at that. And, and she said to us, I was, I was in prayer this morning and I got a word from the Lord for you. And we said, you're going to tell it to us whether we want it or not, right? I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I was thinking. And she said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
And she turned and walked away. And we looked at each other, and I said to my partner, you know what? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. Let's go down to the bakery and have a caramel roll and a coffee, and we'll see how much God gets done before we get back. And he said, yeah, that's a great idea. So we did. We went, we had coffee, spent about an hour there just chilling, and got back, and you know what? Nothing got done. Oh, look at that. And my assumption was, because nothing got done, God can't build this house without me, but I can build this house without God. That was my general attitude. And that's wrong. That's not what this verse is saying. There are two aspects to this verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. There is God's sovereignty, and there's also man's responsibility. We must do the actions and God must bless it. The truth of the matter is, if God wanted to build that house, he could do it without me. Right? He could, there are other carpenters in the world that he could use. If he wanted to, he could create that thing and set it right there overnight. But the reality is, I can't do anything without him. I can't even breathe a breath. I'm dependent on him for every breath. We must recognize this so that we can place our faith in him and trust in him and not ourselves. Second part of that verse, the Lord protects. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We can't even protect what's ours without God's help. Again, God's sovereignty is there. Man's responsibility is there. We don't tell the watchman, quit watching. It's useless unless God's protecting. No, the watchman is the common means by which God uses to protect a city and save a city. But we always must recognize God's providence and his sovereignty in it all. Thirdly, the Lord provides. Verse two says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is probably the, big, the thing that I struggled most with in my life to this point, is just trusting God to provide and getting some sleep. We can't get sleep if we're anxious about building the house, protecting the house, building our family, protecting our family, providing for our family, what happens? We stay up late, we get up early, we try harder, we do more. We don't rest in the fact that God's sovereign. He's the one who's building. He's the one who's protecting. I remember literally praying this prayer when I was young. I had one kid and one on the way. 
And, and we, we moved down to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to school. And I remember praying and saying, God, I have this need over here for school, and I need you to take care of this. I need you to help me with this. But don't worry about providing for my family. I've got it. I know how to do that. I can get a job. I can work hard. I'm strong. I'll stay up late. I'll get up early. I'll get it done because I'm a Minnesotan. Yeah. Norwegian, tough man. I'm actually not Norwegian. <clears throat> um, how foolish. How foolish was I? And that was my mentality for years as I would try to get by on five or six hours of sleep every night, work hard, get to the end of the month, not enough money. Well, I'm going to have to just work harder. Get up earlier, stay up later. The Bible calls it vain, eating the bread of anxious toil. Finally, in God's providence, he allowed me to get in a car wreck and took away my ability to provide for my family. I could work two hours maybe, and I'd have to go lay down. My back hurts so bad. And, and over the coming years, I had to learn. God forced me in his grace to learn to trust in him and not my own strength. To let him provide. Not to be lazy. Laziness is a sin. In this time, there was a couple of verses quite a few verses that became my, my bedrock, the things I stood on. These, these two in particular, I want to share with you, <clears throat> excuse me, two verses that I would, I would get up every morning and I would pray and quote these verses. Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. I would pray and say, thank you, Lord. I, I see it. It's you who gives me the power to get wealth. I don't have strength on my own. I can't do it. I can't go to work without your help. I've got no strength without you. Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And I'm praying, Lord, my plan today is to go to work and make some money to provide for my family. Would you bless it? I commit it to you. Would you help me, Lord? And I want to tell you, I, I kid you not, my, my life changed radically in this area. I mean, I, my mind was blown, literally. I, I would get done with a, a job that was supposed to take, you know, five or six days, and it only took three, and this would happen over and over. I, I don't know how. I would look back, God, what, what happened? I'm not that fast. And God blessed the work of my hands. And I was able to go home and go to sleep. Bonus. God gives sleep to those he loves. <clears throat> Interesting little side note in that verse. I love this. Uh, his beloved, the word beloved there in Hebrew is um, Jedediah. Jedediah? Is that the right word? I didn't put it in my notes. 
probably because I wasn't going to say it. Uh, but it's God's nickname for Solomon, what God called Solomon. Was that Jedediah? Jedediah. Yeah, I think so. So literally, for he gives to his Solomon sleep. He just put his own name in there. God's name for him. Cool. We get to this next section. And another thing that you would recognize if we could read this in Hebrew, I don't know about you, but I don't read Hebrew, but I trust the guys that can and write commentaries and tell me things. But one thing that connects this section to the previous is the word children here, is sons in Hebrew. And it is almost identical to the word builder. In fact, they come from the same root word because a, ch a child builds your house, just like a builder builds a house. And so those words are uh, almost identical and they rhyme, and this is uh, a song, so rhyming words, you know, kind of tie things together. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So that here we are repeating this theme that the Lord builds. Now the Lord is building our homes. He's building our families. And so we can't forget what we've already learned. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We have to trust God to build our house, to give us children. Children are a heritage. What does this mean? Heritage is something you leave behind to those you love. And, and you can interpret this one of two ways. Are children my heritage that I leave behind and they're a gift from God? Or are they God's heritage that he has left to me as his gift? And I think both are true. <clears throat> These little image bearers of God are God's heritage to us. There's a couple things I want to draw to your attention that this, these verses do not say. Does not say some children are a heritage from the Lord. All of them. Every last one. They're a reward and a blessing. It also does not say the only reward from God is children. So if you don't have children, he, he's not blessing you. That's not true. God has all kinds of rewards and blessings. Children are one of them that we must recognize. Those without children are not loved less by God. In fact, the measure of God's love for you was displayed in his giving you a child. But it was one child. Isaiah 6, 9 says, unto us a child is given, to us a child is born, a son is born. God gave his only son to you, his only child. And through that son, he showed you how much he loves you. And that son was crucified for your sins and died on your behalf to bring you into his family 
So children are not a sign of God's love. The only sign of God's love in these passages is sleep. And you could argue those without children get more. (laughs) Just saying. But children are a blessing and a gift from the God. And we need to decide to believe this. Because the world is telling us Children are a penalty. You, you did something wrong, you get a child. You weren't careful enough, you get a child. You don't want them. The world tells us that children are not a gift, they're a burden. The world wants to tell us that children make you poor. God says children are a reward, they're a blessing, and children make you rich. We have to choose here. Are we gonna believe God or the world. Most people, including many Christians, at some point in their lives say, we gotta stop God from cursing us with more children. Be careful not to do that. Now, I'm I'm not saying there aren't reasons, and good and godly reasons, to have a limit, to pray about faithfully, how many children God would have you have, but subject it and submit it to God's word and not to the ideas of the world. I don't have enough money to have more kids. Kids are not a blessing, they're a curse, they're hard. Who of us really wants to say to God, please, no more blessing? This all comes from not trusting in God to be the builder of our home. We need to trust him that it is he who builds our house. And then what do we need to do? We do our part, put our faith in him, go to bed and get some sleep. In my experience, you wake up with children. That's how that works. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Let's move on. (laughs) Verse four. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. This does not mean that your kids are your personal assassinators to go out (laughs) and take out your enemies. I wish that were the case. No. Uh, But the children here, it's interesting The children are the ones that are used to protect you now. And this is easily seen and easier seen in times past, right? Where children grow up and take care of and protect their parents. But is it still true today? Yeah, absolutely. Our kids are like arrows for us as parents. What do arrows need to be? They need... If you imagine back in the day, you didn't go to Cabela's and buy a fiberglass arrow, right? You go out in the woods and you chop down some sticks and you straighten them and you sharpen them and you prepare them for battle. That's what our children need. They need to be straightened and sharpened. And we need need children to take care of us as we get older. 
And, and we see this less individually in America, we, but we still must see it as a whole. I don't, I don't know if you are familiar with the, the biggest crisis facing Japan right now. I heard about this on the briefing, looked it up and read about it a little more. Japan has, for 70 years, had very few children. And they've greatly improved lifespan. You put two and two together and they have a crisis on their hands. There are not enough people to take care of the elderly. There just aren't enough kids. That's what happens when a nation does not believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is a quiverful of children. Now, I've seen a lot of people comment on how big a quiver is and how you know when it's full. That's not the point. I mean, if you're going to battle, grab as many arrows as you can get your hands on, stuff them in a quiver, stuff them in your pocket, whatever you can do, right? Blessed is the man who has a ton of children. That's what he's saying. It's a blessing. Quote from C.H. Spurgeon, when sons and daughters are arrows, it is well to have a quiver full of them. But if they are only sticks, naughty and useless, the fewer of them, the better. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love him. As I was reading his commentary on Psalms, he expressed, I would have done well to have more children. And I don't know anybody who's ever said the opposite. Keep that in mind when you're young and able to have more children. I don't know anybody who says one less would have been, would have been great. What this verse does not say is the only blessed man has many kids. We don't want to take this too extreme. I, I only have two. I'm not very blessed by God. I don't have any. I'm not very blessed by God. Again, it is God who builds the house. We trust in his sovereignty. Next part of the verse, 5b. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is a picture of a man or several men who are defending a city and the attackers come to the city and the first thing generally you want to do if you're attacking a city is go up and talk to them and negotiate terms of surrender. When you go up to the gate and you talk to somebody and behind him is all his giant sons with clubs and bows and arrows, that man's not put to shame. In other words, the enemy turns around and flees. How is that for us? We're part of a family here, the church. Not only are we individual families, but we're part of a larger family. The more brothers and sisters we have around us, the better our battle odds. We fight the enemy together. We fight him with our children. We fight him with our grandchildren. We fight the world and its corrupt ways as a body of Christ No man's an island, can't do it on your own. So the Lord again provides peace. He provides peace to his people. He provides peace to those 
He has blessed us with large families. Um, but the main thing I want, to, want you to hear from this is that God is sovereignly in control. And we need to trust him, not just in these few areas we've talked about, but this principle goes to every area of life. We first need to trust him, and then we need to get to work and do our part. Just like this church building thing we're looking at. We trust God to provide the building, and then we go out and do all the hard work. Rich has been doing all the hard work, looking at all the buildings, looking at all, and, and doing the stuff that has to be done, making an offer, and we trust God to provide. And if he doesn't do it, then it's for some other reason. So the big question comes in at the end of all this, how do I know that my efforts are not in vain? How do I know that if I go to build, that God is building with me and my efforts aren't in vain? Well, the answer lies in the fact that you are God's child and he causes all things to work out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we have God's word to guide and direct us. And so based on what God's word says, we go and we work. And then we stop and we rest, knowing that it is God who gives the increase, that God is the one who builds and protects and provides. One of the areas that I didn't talk about too much is that area of protection of your family. I know many people struggle with this. This for me particularly was not a huge struggle. For some reason, I don't know, maybe I love my kids less. Whatever. No, I don't think that's it. But I know many people who stay up late at night worrying about protecting their kids, keeping them safe. That's a hard one. But the our job is the same. Trust God. He's the one who protects. Unless God protects the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I can't protect my kids all the time. I can't keep them alive. We have to come to grips with that. My kids could die. They could get sick. I can't prevent any of that. That doesn't mean I don't buckle their seatbelts when they're in the car or have them wash their hands. But ultimately, our trust has to be in God or we won't get any sleep. Trust God, my friends. He's worthy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you build the house, that you protect. Lord, that you cause fruition to come from our labors. And we trust you for that. Thank you for giving us rest and sleep when we trust in you and your providence. Thank you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.